0: You should have a handout uh, in your bulletin, or if not, it's uh, hopefully coming. It just uh, gives you uh, the notes that I talked about the last time I was here, and the notes for this morning. So hopefully you don't have to write as much, you can listen, you can add your notes, there's a few blanks there. Uh, When I was in the early days of pastoring, there was a little girl in the church who used to rigorously oppose me, like aggressively oppose me and resist me. And I was standing talking to her mom one day and this little bitty thing comes up. She looks up at me and then she raises her foot and stomps right on top of my foot. Now that little girl didn't weigh much, but that really hurt. And every time I got near her, she would try and kick me or punch me. And, what, and I thought, I'm only trying to be a loving pastor. Like, what, what is this, Lord? And I felt the Lord say to me, you just need to keep loving her. So I made a commitment. Every time I saw her, I had to hold her at arm's length like this. <laughs> she's, she's trying to swing and kick me. <laughs> I would say, Jesus loves you. I love you. You're such a good little girl. <laughs> anyway, I eventually won her over. Uh, it's nobody in the church anymore. She's <laughs> left, gone away. She's, a, she's walking with the Lord, lovely gal. But it was a, uh, it was a painful and bruising experience <laughs> as that little girl resisted me. And do you know that we can do that to the Holy Spirit? We can resist the Holy Spirit. Last time I was here, we talked about the Holy Spirit as the divine lover, and it was from James chapter 4 and verse 5, and I want to just take a few minutes and review that, and then we're going to go on to a new topic this morning. The Holy Spirit as a divine lover, and James chapter 4 verse 5 says, from the King James version, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns. Jealously. And the first thing that tells us is the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not an it, a force. He's not an experience. He is a person. The third person of the Trinity. And that person thinks. He has a mind, Romans 8 says. He feels, Ephesians 4 tells us. He has a will, 1 Corinthians 12 says, and he is jealous for every single one of us. The Holy Spirit is a divine lover who passionately longs for, he jealously yearns for us to love you and to love through you with a holy jealousy. He can never have enough of you. Is there anybody in your life you know like that? Well, multiply that an infinite amount of times, and that's how God feels towards you. The Holy Spirit wants to possess you, fill you, use you, The Bible tells us he wants to express himself through your life, through your actions and attitudes. He wants to partner with each one of us. Not 50-50, 90-10 at least. All he needs is our yes. And the Holy Spirit wants to empower each one of us to become like Jesus And to enable us to accomplish Jesus' mission. In fact, Jesus in John 14, verse 12 to 16, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And I will ask the Father who will send you the Holy Spirit. This precious partner enables us, empowers us to be like Jesus and to accomplish Jesus' mission. But Acts 7 verse 51 tells us that we can actually resist him like that little girl. Vigorously oppose him. In fact, that word means to refuse to submit, to refuse to surrender, to strive against God. And we do that When I was here four weeks ago, three ways I said. The first way is, we can just ignore him. Live life like he doesn't exist. We can refuse to submit or give up control, surrender control to him. And we can despise him when he seeks to train us and discipline us and to make us more like Jesus. So this morning we're going to look at the Holy Spirit not as the divine lover, but we're going to look at him as the divine helper. You might have remember the movie The Help. DreamWorks production, 2011, starring Emma Stone and Octavia Spencer. By the way, I think it's a great movie, very funny, and has very powerful message in it. It tells the story of an aspiring young writer in Mississippi during the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s, who decides to write a book detailing the African-American maids' point of view on the white families they worked for and the white children that they loved and raised. It exposes the horrible racist attitudes among many white people, but it also exposes the incredible love, courage, humor, and resilience of these colored women who were dismissively called the help. But long before DreamWorks came up with that, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the help. Four times. In John chapter, and they're there in your notes, first of all, in John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said, I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither knows him or sees him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will dwell in you. What a profound truth. Jesus said, I'm going to give you another helper. And the New Testament has two words for another. The first word means It's just a different alternative. I'll give you another gift. We'll have another vacation. The other meaning for another is that it's exactly the same, identical in every single way. And that's the word Jesus uses here. He said, I'm going to give you another helper who is just like me. Identical. In every single way. Whatever Jesus would say, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit would say. Whatever Jesus would do, that's identical to what Jesus would do. It's just exactly the same as if Jesus were right here in our midst. And that verse says, not only is he with us, he's in us when we say yes to Jesus. Someone has said, the Holy Spirit dwells in you as a permanent resident and the most reliable partner you will ever have in life. The second place Jesus says that talks about the helper is John 14, 26. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The third place is in John 15, verse 26. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. We never have to be fearful. The Holy Spirit is going to somehow take us in another direction. He's identical to Jesus. In fact, the Bible says he's the Spirit of Jesus. And he's the spirit of the Father. And then the last place is in John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. You know what? It cracks me up sometimes when people say, Oh, I wish I could be back in Jesus' day. Oh, I wish I could be back in Galilee. I wish I could have been one of those disciples or, or even one of those followers that, that I could actually touch Jesus and I could hear Jesus' word. We have something way better. Jesus said, no, no, it's to your advantage. I'm going. But I'm sending my spirit who will be with you all the time, everywhere, everywhere. Any place on the planet for everyone to touch and to engage with. Well, this word helper is a very interesting word. It's the Greek word parakletos. And it's made up of two parts. The first word is para, meaning near or alongside. In fact, it means very near. And then kletos, which means to beckon or call to a specific purpose or intent. God the Father has called the Holy Spirit alongside, very, very near, to do a specific work, to be our helper, the English Standard Version says. The New Living Testament says to be our advocate, same word. The King James Version says to be our comforter, same word, and the NIV says to be our counselor, same word. Originally, this word parakletos referred to a legal counsel that would come alongside someone who'd been summoned to court but did not know what to say, and he would be an advocate, a counselor. He would give them the words to say. He would actually intervene on their behalf. It also described a hired friend that a marathon runner would employ to jog alongside him at the most difficult and trying parts of the race, to shout out encouragement and to keep him going, to give him strength. But the Holy Spirit does so much more than that. He offers assistance in all of life. You are not alone. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've never actually surrendered your life to Jesus, you can do that today. You wouldn't be here if the Holy Spirit hadn't already been working on your life Maybe you've grown up in the church. Maybe your family goes to church and and you just go along with your family, but you've never actually engaged. You've never actually encountered Jesus for yourself. That can happen this morning. The Holy Spirit is on you, around you, and he's bringing conviction, but it's far different than when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Everything, everything changes. Well, how does the Holy Spirit help us? Let me, just, let me just give us 12 ways the Bible specifically says he helps us. The first one is he adopts us into God's family. Romans eight fifteen says this, You've not been given the spirit of slavery by which you fear, but the spirit of adoption by which you cry, Abba, Father. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture. It's a transaction that happens when the Holy Spirit comes in. It means we belong. We're finally accepted. The Holy Spirit actually causes us to cry out, Abba, Daddy. Many of you know we have our first grandchild. His name is Jack. He's two. And the first time, it was this year, the first time he called me, Papa, oh, my heart melted. He came, he said, Papa, oh, I just wanted to eat him up. It's just, I thought, oh, to hear that sound. That's just a fraction of how God the Father feels when you say, Papa, Abba, Daddy, That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us this revelation. He does this transaction in us where where we go from being slave. I remember years ago, many, many, many years ago when I was growing up and I was a teenager, I believed in God, but I was afraid of God. I thought, boy, if you don't do everything right, God's going to get you. And I lived in this fear, but at 19, when I said yes to Jesus and his precious Holy Spirit came into me, oh, I had a different response. I was adopted. I cried, Abba, Father. I came into this wonderful relationship of belonging and acceptance with him. Maybe you've been in church for years, but you still feel like somehow you don't belong. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit who brings that cry of adoption into our hearts. Well, the second way, John 14 to 16 says, he counsels us. That was beautiful what Luke shared this morning. You can tell there's something deep going on in his life. Do you know that's the Holy Spirit? He's the counselor. He's revealing things. Opening things up, lifting the lid off things, peeling the onion away, and bringing freedom. He is our counselor. He's also the one who convicts us. You don't know your need of God without the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of sin when we do things wrong, when we're separated from God. But he also convicts us of righteousness. He convicts us that we are a new creation in Christ. We have a new identity. We don't get our identity from people anymore. We got our identity from God. We belong to him. And the Bible tells that he comforts us. If you're suffering, he's the great comforter. Many of you, well, many, probably many, but Certainly some of you know what it's like to lose loved ones. We, we just lost Gary Middlestad a couple of weeks ago. Gary, 48 years old, and he, he went home to be with Jesus. Nobody, nobody can say anything or do anything to alleviate that grief and loss and pain, but the Holy Spirit can. Because that's his nature. His nature is to strengthen even in the midst of grief and to comfort. Because he is the God of all comfort. Fifthly, he changes us. Becoming more like Jesus. You can't become more like Jesus without the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit's fruit that gives us the character of Jesus. Galatians 5 says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goods, all nine of those fruits. It's his fruit. And he's the one who begins to manifest that in our lives and changes us. And if you, this is beautiful. If you don't get anything else out of this morning, this is one of the most beautiful truths. Philippians 2 Verse 12 and 13. God is at work in you to make you both willing and able to obey him. And that God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's at work in us, giving us desires. If you don't have a desire, he can change that and give you the right desire. If you don't have the ability, he can change that and give you the right ability. And if you have the desire and the ability, what's left? There's nothing left. (laughs) We just end up doing it. We want to do it. He gives us the power to do it. We're able to do it. It's beautiful. Number six, he enables and empowers us. Acts 1 verse 8 says, you shall receive power. You shall receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to do the impossible and to move in the supernatural. Is there anyone here that wants to do the impossible? Good, there's four, five, six of us. <laughs> anyone here who wants to move in the supernatural? Uh, yeah. Well, there's a few more. 12. <laughs> That's our call. This is our realm. Coming to church is not coming, singing a few songs, listening to a message, reading your Bible trying to do good, trying to stay out of trouble. That's not the church. The church is God's powerful manifestation of his kingdom here on earth. The supernatural is our realm. Prayer is our realm. Moving in the impossible is our realm. You can do the impossible through the Holy Spirit. Why do you just turn to a neighbor and tell them they can do the impossible through the Holy Spirit? I know some of you didn't believe that. But you have the helper who can actually convince you the truth of that. Number seven, he encourages us. John 14 to 16 tells us that right in his very name and nature is encouragement. If you're discouraged, it is never the Holy Spirit. Ever. Discouragement is not from the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know how to discourage. That's not who he is. His very nature is to encourage, to lift, always, every time. Number eight, he guides us and leads us. Romans 16 and Romans 8 says, or John 16 and Romans 8 says, you don't know where to go in life, you don't know what to do, you never have to be lost in life for direction or anything else. He's our guide. He's our leader. Romans 8, 26 says, He prays for us with groanings too deep for words. Not only does He pray for our help, He helps us to pray. If you don't know how to pray, or you're not very good at praying, or you're not very disciplined at praying, you have a helper. The Holy Spirit who will gladly Help you in that. Number 10, he reveals to us. Ephesians 1 says he's a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Number 11, he reminds us, my absolute favorite, John 14, 26. The Father will send you the helper who will teach you and bring to your remembrance all things. Anybody a little forgetful here? All the old people. But I can tell you, the young people are just as forgetful. But we have a helper who reminds us not only of Jesus' words, he reminds us of everything in life. I can't tell you how many times a week the Holy Spirit reminds me of things I would totally have forgotten. And every time now it happens, I say, oh, you are such a good friend. I'm so grateful. I would have totally forgotten that. Thank you for that. And he teaches us, the Bible says, he renews our thinking. He uses the word of God. He reveals things to us. And he enables us not just to understand the word of God, He actually speaks to us apart from the word of God. We can hear God through the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Hearing God course is all about. It teaches us to hear God in the scriptures. And it teaches us to hear God in a whole bunch of different ways. But we can actually thwart the Holy Spirit's help. We can not only resist him, we can grieve him. And that's what we're going to look at for a few minutes today. So if you'd open your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 to chapter 5, verse 2. Just a few verses. The Apostle Paul begins by saying this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This word grieve means to make sorrowful, sad, to cause pain, to make one uneasy. We can actually cause Almighty God to feel pain, to be uneasy, to be sad. To be sorrowful. And what do you think God does? What do you think the Holy Spirit does when we make him sad or uneasy? He he goes quiet. He withdraws. And if we keep on grieving him, He goes so quiet. Our awareness of him actually gets hard as a rock. Jesus said when he was baptized, at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came on him in the form of a dove. And when you have a dove on you, you have to be careful how you walk. Our kids nagged us for years to have a pet. Oh, Daddy, please. We have four daughters. Oh, Daddy, please, please give us a pet. We'll water it. We'll take care of it, feed it, clean it. We'll walk it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We never gave in. But one day our neighbor called and said, hey, we have a free bird. Comes with a cage, food, everything. And we're giving it away. That should have been a, that should have been a signal to us. Our kids were crazy. They said, oh, Dad, please give us the bird. Please let us have the bird. We promise. We promise. We'll water the bird. We'll feed the bird. We'll walk the bird. We'll do all the stuff. We'll wash the bird, etc." So I said, oh, on one condition, the bird has to be a male. There's five females in this family. I'm outnumbered. The bird has to be a male. The bird was a male. So we inherited this cockatiel Named Thaddeus. Friend of God. Very ill-named. And Thaddeus, because he lived in a cage all the time, he was so weak he could only fly around the kitchen one orbit and he lost altitude the whole way around until he landed on the floor. And then you'd have to pick him up, put him back in his cage. But if you were sitting at the table, minding your own business, eating a bowl of cereal, or reading, and Thaddeus got out, immediately he would go for you. Boom! And he would land on your head. Now, if you wanted to keep Thaddeus on your head, you had to move very gently. If you didn't, you just smacked him like that, and you hit the floor, pick him up, put him back in the cage. (laughs) Same is true with the Holy Spirit. We have to be so careful how we move. He's gentle, he's soft, he's sensitive, but he's so powerful. And Ephesians tells us some ways that we can actually grieve him. The first way we can grieve him is through our speech. Verse 25 says, Put away falsehood, speaking truth to one another, For we are members one of another. Our speech is so important because he's in us. He's with us. He hears everything. And putting away falsehood means putting away basically lying. It can be as simple as a phony response on a Sunday. How are you doing today? Great, yeah, I'm fine. When you're not fine, when you actually have had a very difficult week, but you're hiding it. But the scripture says, no, be truthful with one another because we belong. We're, we're a community together. Remember, when we're honest, you don't have to spill everything to people. You say, actually, you know what? I had a hard week. Oh, let me pray for you. Oh, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful part of Jesus' community. But it can also be something as serious as lying. A number of years ago I was in our pastor's, one of our pastor's basement, and we were talking. He had a little pool table and we were playing pool and he got a phone call and he disappeared out of the room and I got bored while he was gone. So I started flicking the balls out of the leather pocket and catching them in the air like this. And then I flicked it, I must have leaned over too far, flicked it too hard, and it hit my front tooth, and it split my front tooth right in half. I couldn't believe it, my tooth fell on the table. I thought, I've maimed myself. What? A, I can't believe I just did that. What an idiot. Anyhow, I had a church meeting that night, and I thought, I can't go to the church meeting like Pirate Pete. So I phoned my dentist right away, and I said, hey, I, you know, I, said, I just broke my tooth in my front incisor in half, and he said, look, we're booked up totally today, uh, but I'll take you first thing tomorrow morning. So we hung up, and I thought, I can't go to the meeting like this. People are going to say, what happened to your tooth? And then I'm going to have to say, I'm an idiot. This is what happened <laughs> to my tooth. So... I, I, I phoned another dentist on Henderson Highway, and he said, oh, yeah, we'll take you right away. So I went over to the dentist, and he, he put a kind of filling thing on it and gave me the mirror, and I said, hey, my real tooth is longer than my, the other tooth you just fixed. He said, oh, we'll file your real tooth. I said, no, no, just leave it. Good. So anyhow, I went to the meeting. The next day, first thing in the morning, I get a phone call. It's my dentist. The receptionist says, where are you? I said, what do you mean? She said, we're waiting for you. I said, oh, I totally forgot. She said, how could you forget? You've got a broken tooth. <laughs> and then I felt so embarrassed. And I, and I didn't know what to say because I got it fixed by another dentist. She went on. She said, well, look, we're waiting for you. Can you come down right now? I said, no, my wife's not here. She said, well, as soon as your wife gets back, come down. We're waiting for you. Click. And as soon as I put the phone down, I felt grieved. I just lied to my dentist. I can't believe it. I just lied to my dentist. Pastor lies to dentist. <laughs> Mary came home that, uh, a few minutes later, and I said, Mary, I just lied to my dentist. What? I said, yeah, yeah, I told her the story. She said, oh, my goodness. Well, you know what to do. So I knew I had to phone this lady back. So I phoned her back. and said, hey, it's me. I just lied to you. What? I said, yeah, I just lied to you. I told her the story. And she said, "Ah, don't worry about it. Just get down here and let us fix your tooth for you. So she did. But you know, when we get trapped in those situations, we're going to look embarrassed or maybe, maybe we're going to be exposed and we choose not to tell the truth. We choose to make a falsehood out of it or a lie. The Holy Spirit's grieved. And the only way we get rid of that is we make it right. We walk in the light because we have a helper who's so very near. He helps us in this. Well, the second way is corrupt talk, verse 29 says. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. And that word corrupt means rotten, putrid. Two weeks ago, two three weeks ago, we were driving by the maple leaf meat plant on L'Agemodiae. You know what's coming. It stinks everywhere around that area. But two weeks ago, it was putrid. It was rotten. I don't know what they were doing in there, but I... I, I almost started gagging. I couldn't get, we were speeding to get out of the, the zone there where all that smell is. The, the Bible tells us that when we talk in ways that tear people down malicious gossip, ungracious talk, foul language, cursing, swearing, being negative, critical, grumbling, complaining it's like a rotten smell to the Holy Spirit. It grieves him, because your, your tongue is attached to your heart. And Jesus said that what comes out of the mouth actually begins in the heart. But we have a helper who is very near, who can help us be gracious, uplifting, thankful, grateful, positive. The third way our speech can grieve the Holy Spirit is through slander. This word slander is the Greek word blasphemy. It's where we get our English word blasphemy from. And it literally means a speech which is injurious to another or to divine majesty. In fact, some versions translate it as evil speaking. The first way we grieve the Holy Spirit is with our tongue. And James 3 tells us the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It stains the body. No human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. But the Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. In fact, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit manifested as what? Tongues of fire. And he gave those people the ability to speak in words and languages they've never had the capacity. Oh, the Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. Do you have a negative tongue? The helper can help you. If you're critical, complaining, oh, the Holy Spirit can assist you. He's the only one that's able to fill us with that gracious, positive Thanksgiving. Some of you may remember a Bible teacher by the name of Bob Mumford. Bob was a very famous charismatic Bible teacher back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And before he got saved, he got saved as a young man in his early 20s, but before he got saved, he was a sailor. And his own testimony was he had the foulest mouth you could ever imagine. He could not say a sentence without foul language and cursing coming out of his mouth. But the day he got saved, it instantly left. And he was amazed. He said it was a miracle. Because he had the Holy Spirit, the one who contained the tongue. Okay, the second way we grieve the Holy Spirit is through our actions. In verse 28 says, the first way is by stealing let the thief no longer steal this is beautiful let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need this this stealing is not breaking and entering right that that's that's probably not going to apply to many of us if any of us in this room but there's lots of other ways we steal the opposite of stealing is being generous. If you're stingy, you're stealing. What? It's your advantage, your gain at someone else's cost. And one of the ways we can do this is at work. When I was work, uh, graduated from university, I worked at Nabob Foods. I was a class C oiler and cleaner on night shift. And my job was to clean the iced tea machine. And so the first night, the foreman took me over to the iced tea machine, and he said, okay, here's your job. You've got to do this. Showed me what to do. You've got to clean the whole area up and make it shine. So I said, okay. So he left me. I got to work. Two hours later, I was done. So I went to look for the foreman, and I found the foreman, and I said, okay, I'm done. He said, what? I said, yeah, I'm finished. He said, you can't be. I said, well, unless I've done something wrong, I think I'm finished. He said, let's go see. So he walked me back over to that department in that area. He checked over the machine. He said, yeah. He said, you are done. And you did a good job. That's amazing. It used to take the other guy the whole night, eight hours. I said, well, I don't know how that could take anybody eight hours. Anyhow, at the coffee break time, these two other guys who were working there, they come and sit down beside me and they say, hey, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? They said, we heard you cleaned the iced tea machine in two hours. I said, yeah. They said, you're not supposed to do that. It's supposed to take you the whole night. I said, I'd be totally bored doing that the whole night. That's not the way I work. But the whole shift worked that way. What were they doing? They were stealing from their employer. When you go on your phone and you're doing social media and Instagram while you're at work, not on your break, while you're at work, or you're using the computer to do personal things, you're actually taking time from your employer. The second way we can do it is tipping. How many of you are going out to eat at a restaurant after? Oh, we have a a potluck. So... You got the right Sunday for this. <laughs> I don't like tipping. I thought, hey, I'm paying for the food. Why should I have to pay extra for you? But I've never been a waiter or a waitress, so I don't know what it's like. They usually get minimum wage, and the tips help to cover it. But I used to, I used to be a stingy tipper. But the Holy Spirit's convicted me and said, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you be generous? What a horrible testimony when Christians come into a restaurant and they bow and they say grace before the, the, the meal comes and then they give the person a $2 tip. What kind of testimony is that? That's not God. God's generous. He has no lack and he wants us to be generous. So I thought, okay, Lord, I want to change this. So now, now I go Overboard. It hurt at first. (laughs) But now I really enjoy it. And you know, it gives you a great opportunity to say to the waiter or the waitress, hey, can we pray anything for you? Mm. Oh, wow. And then we pray something for them if they have something to pray for. And then we leave a big tip. Whoa, what does that say about Jesus? In fact, on Friday, we took our grandson out to Smitty's. We had a nice breakfast together, went to the waitress after to pay, and I said, hey, what's your busiest day? She said, oh, Sundays after church. I said, really? No kidding. She said, yeah, yeah, the church crowd, always busy. I said, are they very good tippers? She said, I haven't worked Sundays for two years, but she said, when I used to work Sundays, they weren't very good tippers. They were known as stingy. I thought, we need to change that. And we have a Holy Spirit who can help us with it. You know, when you give an obedience to him, you never lack. He always gives back. And the last one here is bitterness. Bitterness, anger, and malice. It's so easy to take offense. So easy to hold a grudge. I came home from work a number of years ago, I was exhausted, I laid on the couch and I had a whole bunch of phone calls to make, so I was making them and I was a little incoherent. And I was talking and instead of saying a group of people, I ended up saying a poop of gripple. (laughs) And I heard myself and I thought, did I just say that? I thought, I'm not even going to... Mary was in the kitchen at the sink and she backed out and she said, Did you just say a poop of gripple? And then she laughed her head off. Well, it's stuck in our family. Group of people has become poop of gripple because wherever there's people, there's poop, right? (laughs) Right, pastors? It's just the way it works. Wherever you rub shoulders with people, it's inevitable At some point, you will rub or be rubbed the wrong way. And when that happens, it's so easy to take offense. You rehearse it, you nurse it, you curse it, you talk to yourself about it. And then, if you don't deal with the offense, it becomes a bitterness. A grudge, if you don't deal with that, it becomes unforgiveness. And Jesus said in in his parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, if you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. You're on your way to hell, Jesus said. That's how serious this is with God. And so when we take offense and we don't let go of things and we don't release people, oh, it grieves the Holy Spirit. Life with the Holy Spirit is always about repentance, Ephesians 4 tells us. It's always about turning away from our old nature and turning towards our new nature in Christ. Ephesians 4 verse 22 says, Put off your old self, your former manner of life, and be renewed in the spirit of the the mind and put on the new self, created in the likeness of God in true holiness. We have a divine helper 24 hours a day, seven days a week, who is exactly like Jesus. He's not far away, he lives in you. He is your closest friend, and his whole existence is to assist to help, to enable. It couldn't be a better gift from God. You don't have to do life alone. You don't have to do marriage alone. You don't have to do anything alone. You have a helper. All you have to do is turn to him. How many of you talk to yourselves? Okay, that's a bad habit. Stop it. Just stop it. People are going to think you're nutty. You don't have to talk to yourself. You have someone with you you can talk to. And by the way, he talks back. He will answer you. And so I want to declare this week... Holy Spirit Awareness Week. (laughs) September 29th or 30th to October 6th. And here's what I want you to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to go home today and ask the Holy Spirit, is there anywhere I'm grieving you? And let him speak to you because when he speaks, he'll help you out of it. He's not there just to point the finger. He's actually there to lift you. Ask the Holy Spirit, is there any place I'm grieving you? And then, every morning this week, as soon as you wake up, before you reach for your phone, or before you say, oh, my blankety-blank, it's morning, say, welcome, Holy Spirit. I surrender to you. Take over my life. Take control of me. Fill me. Use me. And then throughout the day, engage with him. Don't talk to yourself anymore. That's weird. (laughs) Talk to him. He'll answer. And listen. You can ask him questions. Do some listening prayer. And then finally, when you go to sleep at night, take a minute and just thank him. Rehearse your day and thank him. He wants to partner with you. And the more you turn to him, the more you will know that supernatural, empowering life of Jesus.